You're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Roman McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. And today we're going to talk about Jesus and Scripture. More Jesus and even more Scripture. Sounds good. Let's get started. Episode 12. More Jesus and more Scripture. Yep. That's not the title, but it could be. Yes, that, why not? You know what? So we always record our intro after we record the episode. Yes. So if you're hearing this, we haven't recorded the intro yet, but you know what? It might be. Right. So and if, and not only do we record the intro after we do the podcast, but then we title the episode after we record the intro, after we record the podcast. Yes. So it's a multi-layered <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Process. <laughs> but um, you'll read something along those lines uh, as the title. And um, if you listen to you know last week's, then you know that we were continuing the idea of Jesus and his use of Scripture. And we kept teasing out on the Sermon of the Mount, and then we just never got there because we were spinning on all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, Jesus uses Scripture, I mean, a fair amount. And, and stories, like he makes reference to mm-hmm. stories. Like yeah. he'll say, no sign will be given this generation except for the sign of Jonah. Right. So he's conscious of these stories. He talks about Abraham. Mm-hmm. He talks about characters from the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, we, in talking about the Sermon on the Mount and wanting to move into that, uh, because I think time, at least for me anyway, time kind of got away from me last episode and it ended up, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was went by a lot faster than I thought. I kind of just want to make sure that we get into it and have some, have some good conversation. And so, um, just Matthew five, starting in verse 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, for truly, I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Um, we won't get into the until heaven and earth disappear part because that's another episode for another day. The idea of heaven disappearing, but that's not a big deal. Um, we're going to talk more about the idea of, um, and a question that I want to pose to you, Brad, is the idea of Jesus saying that I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. So, I mean, what, what runs through your mind when, when you read that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I think it sort of reminds me of the way that we many times deal with contradictions in Scripture. It's sort of like the the answer that we get is, well, the Bible's inspired and it's inerrant, so whatever contradiction you see is not actually there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, like there, right, right. Like that is the answer. The answer to the contradiction is there are no contradictions. Right even when there do appear to be. So I think when Jesus says this, um, you know, we talked last week about some specific examples where Jesus seems to uh, be at a minimum reinterpreting the law in a way that the people around him did not think was the law. They certainly didn't see it as the quote-unquote fulfillment of the law. Right, absolutely. They would have probably seen it more closely akin to an abolishment of the law. So that's sort of my instant reaction to this is that 
I'm not sure that it's helpful to use this section to say, well, okay, Jesus wasn't actually trying to change anything from the Old Testament based on this passage, because you actually have to look and see what Jesus did and said mm -hmm. when he is applying scripture, when he is citing to the law. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. What do you yeah. think? I mean, yeah, no, have... I, I agree. I, I think, I think what you're saying is, is spot on. I like the, I mean, so I think if you were to ask a group of, I'm just gonna say high school students because I, you know, that's who I work with. Right. Um, if you were to kind of ask something along the lines of, you know, what, what law do we abide by now in right. today's times. Well, they wouldn't say the old law. They would say the old law. We don't, we don't even, and, I, and you would ask what the old law was and they would just say like the old Testament. Right. And you know, uh, they get, we'll give them a C. Um, it's not awful. It's not completely wrong. Um, but one of the things that I like that Jesus says is, um, he's not here to completely take it away and not not all of it right not not until at least it has been fulfilled and i like what you're saying about the idea of being fulfilled because i think that there clearly were people that thought that he was just like i mean the word would be abolished or the word would be blaspheming or the word would be just uh, I don't know. You could use hypocritical. You could meet. I mean, you could say a whole lot of things. Well, he says extremely provocative things, like purposefully so. Like when he's in front of the temple, he says, tear down this temple, and in right. three days I'll build it back up. And mm -hmm. he just happens to say this while he's standing in front of the Jewish temple. Yeah. So it wasn't like an accident he said that. Now, you know, the 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 writer tells you parenthetically that, oh, he's talking about his body. He was talking about, oh, you, you know, you crucify me and in three days I'll come back. Mm -hmm. But he says things, I think, on purpose to catch people off guard. I mean, they, they thought, and that's what triggered that, that scene in my mind is when you said people thought he was blasphemous. Yeah. I said, when well, you're going to tear down this temple. In fact, that's one of the things that when they brought him in, in front of Annas and Caiaphas, that's one of the things they, the allegations they brought that, you know, these are the, this, these are some of the reasons why we want to kill Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I, I think that some people get this idea in their heads. And even maybe at one point I know that I did because I just hadn't really fully kind of thought this through and, and, I guess really tried to understand what I thought Jesus was doing was um, Jesus came to fulfill the law. That doesn't mean that thing that laws that did exist n no longer mean, you know, anything they're, it's not like they're, they're worthless. So one for instance is honor your father and mother. I know, and I'm not using murder because I'm going to get a murder here in a second, right, right. but like honor your father and mother. That's, that's one of the 10 commandments. That doesn't mean that Jesus was like, no, don't you don't have to listen to any of that anymore. Um, that's or, not what he was saying. Or thou shalt not steal. Right, exactly. Like it's like, oh, okay, well, we're all good now. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that we, one of the things that we talked about last time was the idea of common sense. And I think that Jesus is like, hey, guys. Let's even use wisdom. Sure. How about that? Yeah. Because it sounds not? better. It does sound <laughs> but way I, better. But, but it's the same. I think they're coextensive. Absolutely. Common sense. It's like, it's It's wisdom. Common sense, it's developed through experience. It's like a combination sure. of experience. It's not experience in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It's experience coupled with reading the Old Testament, knowing the Old Testament. I mean, one of the reasons why I think you're saying that even though honor your father and mother, um, even though honor your father and mother is in the Old Testament, but that it, it still carries over in many ways, or the, the concept of it carries over, I believe it's because you've experienced that 
in your life, like you've experienced times when maybe you dishonored your father and mother, oh, right? I'm not, I'm not no, I fussing okay. at you. I'm just saying, no, I, right. and, I, and I have too, right? And you know what that feels like. You know what that does to them. You know what that does to you. Or in your youth work, mm-hmm. you've been in situations where you've seen kids who dishonor their parents by their actions, by their words, by their choices. Yeah. And you see like, this is not a positive thing for them or the parents. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so your common sense, your, the wisdom that you have developed is like, you know what, this is, this is a pretty good thing. But when we go back to some of the punishments, like we were talking about last week, I mean, you've probably also seen people that have, you know, that have failed morally, or you may have moral failings yourself. Sure. I, I know I have. Yeah. Well, you know, did I, you know, what was the result of those moral failings? What was I stoned in front of this? Was I excommunicated from the church or was right. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can, you start to see, well, it's not that those, those failings or those mistakes weren't mistakes or that you didn't develop wisdom through them, or you wouldn't counsel somebody, Hey, stay away from this. This is going to cause problems down the road, but we just see them differently. Yeah. So it's like things the concept carries over, but we're just in a completely different time. We're thousands of years removed from when those original thoughts and commands and laws were were written down. Right. I think that, um, you know, Jesus may have brought into play the idea of the punishment fitting the crime. Um, not not necessarily completely, but the idea of, we. I mean, we talked about he is without sin, cast the first stone, Right. Um, I mean, you look at that now, someone came in and was committing adultery or whatever. We're not stoning them. Right. Right. Because that, that punishment doesn't fit that. Or kids crime. talking back. We just talked about on your father and mother. That was the commandment, but there was also, you know, yeah. kids that were di- openly defiant, disrespectful were also to be stoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that it, so it's interesting. I think what we're getting to here is that in some ways it's almost like the punishment part. It's mm-hmm. the punitive side, the, the God's justice, or at least justice for Jesus, seems to start looking a little different in the New Testament. There seems to be something about mercy, something about grace, and these things seem to be tied up into God's character, and they seem to be revealed in a way that, not that they're absent in the Old Testament, but at least they don't seem to be present in, in the law. There, there doesn't see a whole, seem to be a whole lot of mercy and grace mm-hmm. wrapped up in the law. You, you can see it. You can see glimpses of it, you know, like right. when, when people accidentally kill someone, you know, there's cities of refuge. Like I, I can see it when I'm looking for it, Yeah. but it doesn't scream out at you like the examples we were just talking about, about people getting stoned. Right. And, and I also think that um, a big focus um, in, in Old Testament when we're looking at old scripture is a lot of these things were focused on the physical, Things, yes. things that were, I mean, like physical actions, right? And, and Jesus, I think, is getting into your heart, into your mindset, into... Um, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that because I think that's exactly right. He's yeah. going to like a different level right to a heart more of a that was a nice voice, a voice crack, crack. We don't need to, i'll edit that <laughs> we'll edit it in post that's a, my, my boys will love that though Good. that'll be a perfect oh, one. Oh <laughs> man but yeah no absolutely and and that's a that's a great segue that i may or may not have planned into murder yes um you know we're, we're still in you know chapter five he starts off by saying you've heard that it was said to the people long ago you shall not murder Right. You, you heard it on Mount Sinai right. in the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. Yeah. Exodus 
20 verse 13 and uh, yeah, Exodus 20 verse 13. Um, and so, but he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And, um, that is a lot. Uh, I think that that is something that one, I overlook a lot. Now, obviously at some point we get into the idea of, you know, in your anger, do not sin. And maybe, I think we've even talked about that before in the podcast. And so, there are levels to that, but I think that that, that falls perfectly into um, that transition from this physical, you know, tangible thing to a mindset to, you know, where your heart is at with relationships. And I think that's where Jesus really wanted us to focus because um, I think maybe, I don't think I know, Jesus knew that a lot of this was going to come down to my relationship with you, Brad, or your relationship with your son, or your relationship with your wife, or your coworker, and we have to be able to have the right mindset, to have the right heart, because the interaction that consistently happened with God, or was happening with Jesus in that moment, wasn't going to continue the way that it was. Right. That, that's right. And he, in fact, I mean, he goes like he goes on for there, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he doesn't stop. With, no, you know, no, if you're no. angry, you're subject to judgment. But uh, or if you murder, you'll be subject to judgment. But I tell you, if you're angry, you'll be subject to judgment. So basically, he, he uses the same phrase mm-hmm. twice. Now, it says subject to judgment. But actually, under the Old Testament law, if you murdered, you were subject to be killed yourself. Right, absolutely. It was the death penalty. Yeah, it was, it was capital penalty. punishment. Yep. So then Jesus, and look, this is this is hyperbole. I'm just going to say it, okay? okay? Jesus is not being literal here. That's that's my take. I mean, okay. spoiler alert. Right. Because Jesus says, I tell you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, that you're also subject to judgment. He uses the same exact phrase. So, okay, you are you have a death sentence. You are you are going to be capitally punished. Sure. For being angry with the brother and sister. I don't think that is, I don't think Jesus literally means that, but right. we can, I think we get that if when we keep going. So there's a little bit of a wink there, but I'm gonna come back to, I think, the larger point that Jesus is making. And then, you know, you don't have to agree with this. I just wanna put it out no, there and, and, and tell, me, tell me what you think. Yeah. So he says, so you be pr- uh, subject to judgment if you're just angry, not if you murder with them, but like you said, relationally, just in your heart, if you're angry with them. But then he says, anybody who says to a brother, sister, Raka, which was some Aramaic contempt, term of right? contempt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is answerable to the court. So that would just be, I don't know, it would be like slander, the equivalent yeah. of, of slander. So something that would be actionable, like slander or defamation, you could go to court mm-hmm. and get a judge to fine for damages. Right. Like if I if I accuse you of being a murderer, right. like if I if I accuse you of being a felon and you're and you're not, then you could sue me if I publish that to third parties. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's your legal lesson for, for today. There it is. All right. So you're answerable to the court. And then he goes one step beyond and he goes, but anybody who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So you fool is something that you're going to say when somebody doesn't put on their blinker. Or you're right. A, or you're a Disney villain. Sorry. <laughs> you fool. Every Disney villain turns green and says, you fool. <laughs> Look it up. So, but think about this in context. And so Jesus starts with the law. He starts with the Old Testament. He then parrots the same language for capital punishment for saying angry equals capital punishment. And oh, by the way, you know how you can get brought to court by saying X, Y, and Z? I'm saying that if you just say, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're in danger of hell. I think that Jesus is talking hyperbolically here again. I think Jesus is trying to make a 
just a bigger point. Sure. I don't see this as Jesus laying down new law that's like, oh, guess what? If you say you fool, that means you're going to hell. Right. Here's your new law. That, again, this is my take. My take is that it goes back to exactly what you said, is that Jesus understands that the heart of, of God and the heart of following God and, um, and, and being a loving person is not just me not killing you. Right. Okay. That it actually starts so far before that, so many levels before that. And, and even, it even starts with the point where I elevate myself up slightly and I try to lower you just slightly. And I say, you know what? Roman's a fool. Right. Like it, it could be that simple and it's that sort of dangerous to start down the road of seeing other people as less valuable than you, that you're actually moving in a direction that is a, it's an evil direction. If you want to call it that it's a sinful direction. We talked about sin. Right. Yeah. Like it's a, you're, you are not moving in the right direction when you see somebody else and you, in you, in your heart, you're just like, man, they're an idiot. Yeah. You know, or, 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 or you build up anger and you hold that anger, whether or not it's expressed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I can see that. I, I, I don't completely, I don't completely disagree with you. And, and you, you can feel free. But, I'm just telling you sort of how I've come. No, to no, no. This. And I, I honestly, I don't completely disagree. Um, not that I thought I was going to, but you know, the idea of, um, you know, anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. All right. Um, I agree. I get angry all the time. I send in my anger all the time. Um, so does everybody. That's a thing. At some point, everybody does it. Um, that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make me a bad person. It just happens. All right. Um, I think that to what you were saying, the idea there is maybe, um, Jesus was making like the, the Hitler illustration, like the worst case scenario illustration. Um, one that is so far fetched, one that is so far out there that people are like, okay, all right. But then it makes you think. Yeah. And it's one of those things where Jesus is like, I'm gonna put this out there and you need to think about it for a second. Because he, I mean, obviously he like continues and he kind of like stacks those different, like, you know, the, yeah. the contempt in court. And then he ends up talking about, you know, um, you know, you're off, you know, you're offering a gift at the altar and, you know, you have a brother or sister yeah. against you. And so like he kind of continues to stack and stack and it's like, it's almost like petty crimes, right? Like little petty things. And Jesus is like, this is ridiculous. Um, and you know, all these actionable things you would literally be murdered. You would be killed here. They would kill you or something along those lines. Well, I'm telling you, well, I'm talking about something that, you know, the, the idea of, you know, living water, right? I, you know, I can, I can, you know, you have the ability to live forever, but these are things that take that away. And it seems petty, but like you were saying yeah. is the idea that it's almost like a, I'm using illustrations here that are probably ridiculous, but like a gateway drug. Yeah. Right. You're, you're like, I can start here with you fool. I can start here with, you know, I don't even like to be around that person. I don't even really know why I just don't. And that just builds and builds and builds and builds until eventually you're just like, you genuinely hate somebody. Right. You have disdain, you have yeah. anger or you just don't care about them. Right. And, mm -hmm. and the idea of not caring about somebody is scarier than what I think Christians make it out to be because we're really good at justifying our own actions, but not yeah. caring about someone 
leads to the idea of not forgiving and not, I mean, even greater not loving. And, and, and I know that that's, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I think that Jesus is on that conversation here of, or starting that conversation with these things. Yeah. So one thing I want to say, you know, before, cause this kind of works right into adultery. Um, I do want to say, I think one way that this is interpreted is that, and I, and I, I mentioned this metaphor last week is that it seems like in these passages that Jesus is sort of turning up the dials on yeah. the law Yeah. where, you know, we were talking last week where he says, you know, woman, where, where the woman caught in adultery, where, where are those who condemn you? You know, well, it, well, they've they've gone, sir. Well, neither do I condemn you, right? So you see Jesus in in one in one instance seeming to turn the dial towards mercy and grace, mm-hmm. but then here it seems like Jesus is sort of turning the dial in the other direction. And so, one thing I wanted to acknowledge here that there is one way of interpreting and reading this scripture where it's like, hey, you think you think you're without sin because you don't murder. Well, guess what? You have sin that jeopardizes your eternal destiny. You know, the moment that you throw up your hands, like I said before, when yeah. somebody cuts you off in traffic, right. the moment you say you idiot, you fool or something worse, mm-hmm. you, you have now committed a sin. And so, I mean, I've heard this taught and preached where it's almost like, hey, Jesus's standards are sky high. They're way beyond the Old Testament. And in fact, there's language later that that may or later there's language right before this you didn't read down to that part because Jesus does say for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven right so I mean I, I once again I've heard that interpreted and, and this may even be sort of the the mainline conservative reading of this is oh here's what this means this means that we actually have to be more legalistic than the pharisees the problem with the pharisees is not that they didn't do all the things right is that they didn't do enough things right and we need to do even more things right than they did right and i'm not sure that's the best reading or understanding here right um because back to my point about hyperbole you know, when we get into adultery, Jesus is going to start talking about cutting off hands yeah. and gouging out eyes. Right. So I don't think we read that literally. I, I mean, I think just about everybody agrees. You know, you go into your youth class and suggest that if somebody's hand is causing them to sin or eye is causing them to sin, that they cut it off or gouge it out. You know, I'm probably not going to be in the youth ministry very long. Well, especially if they follow what you yeah, say. If they do what I <laughs> now, say. Now, if they ignore what you say, you keep your job. <laughs> fair, fair. Hopefully, uh, but I, you know, and th- you know, what's interesting is that um, I uh, I don't mind him saying these things, and I know that might sound weird, and I don't I don't mind it from a legalistic sense. I but I look at it from the the sense, uh, and this is just a, this is a, a personal preference because it's something yep. that I enjoy is I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing team sports and I had coaches that were like, you're going to do this until you get it right. Every time we're going to do this until it's perfect every time. And, um, was it annoying? Absolutely. Was it grueling and difficult? And was yeah. there blood, sweat and tears? Absolutely. Were we a better team because of it? 
one hundred percent. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, what what I will say is that it doesn't always work from the sense of competitive sports into like relations yeah, relationships. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not suggesting that you harp on somebody and you be the coach. But we like to take on that I say we people like to take on that coach role. Like because we're really good at pointing out flaws from other people. Sure. Which and is also later in the Sermon on the Mount. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And and one of the things that I think that um I need I need to do a better job of is is being more intentional about coaching myself. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where Jesus is trying to get at is coach yourself, man. Oh, he is absolutely one hundred percent asking people to be self evaluative and reflective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He, that that is that is that is what's going on. He's not saying, Oh, guess what? If you see that other person saying you fool, they're in danger of hell. You know what I mean? Like right. this isn't a way for us to use this. This isn't more, these aren't more tools in the toolbox to use these things offensively against right. other people. Absolutely. These are you um like you said, to go back to your sports analogy, this is your coach telling you, "Hey, you know, go, go, go over there. You know, go, go to the, go to the bullpen, and I want you to throw. You know, you've got your, you've got your strike zone over there. I want you to throw thirty two seam fastballs high and inside, yeah, in a row. I want you to hit that spot every single time. And you go over and you do it, and you do it, and you do it." And you get better at it right. because you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get that, but I, you know, the, the other thing that popped into my mind, Roman, because I've I've seen this in Bible classes before, and it always rubs me the wrong way. It sort of has a uh, there's a there's something facially attractive about it, but then it, it, it there's something that turns, and that's you know I'll see people. You've got a huge whiteboard in your office here that you know people listening can't see. Um, but it's a, it's massive. It's like four feet by, I don't know, six or seven feet, but people either in a whiteboard or a PowerPoint slide, they'll draw like this X and Y axis Mm -hmm. and they'll show, you know, as a Christian, this is what the graph of your sin should look like over time. And it's like, and it's like a graph, it's like, it starts in, you know, and I don't know your teens or twenties or whatever. And then it just goes down to where it's like, you know, approaching infinity. It's like (laughs) down to, you know, it's looks like, like the, like the COVID curve, you know, coming down, thank God. Right. So it just goes down to where, you know, this idea that, that you have no sin in your life and that that's, that's how you measure sort of your Christian walk. And, and I, so I think I get concerned sometimes that certain readings of the Sermon on the Mount or even what, what Jesus is doing with Scripture would play into an idea that that somehow is emblematic of the Christian life, which I do not believe is an honest depiction of what everyday life looks like for right. humans oh, yeah. in general yeah. and even for people who are, are Christians. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, we've probably used this analogy before. I mean, it's, it is genuinely a roller coaster. Con- it is consistently inconsistent. Like that is that is the best way, in my opinion, to describe life. It is consistently inconsistent. You cannot you cannot control so many things around you, um, and that's why I think the Sermon on the Mount 
and why it's, it's important. Jesus' use of scripture is important. Why we have this understanding that it is so much about self-evaluation than offensive attack on other people is, is that you have the ability to control yourself. And, and Jesus continually talks about these things that you can control. And that's important. And, and, and I, and, and I, I wish that I, I wish, wish those were things that I said more often, but it is, it's important to note that I know, I've said this to teens before is that some, we read scripture like it's being said specifically to us at, at times, right? Obviously yeah. there's, there's things in context that you need to know what's happening in the moment or whatever. But like the Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that you can read as if Jesus is talking directly to yeah. you. Yeah, it's helpful. And it's not a bad idea. Now, I don't want people reading it and being like, wow, I'm a horrible person. That's right. not what I'm getting at. And I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. What I think Jesus wants you to, what Jesus wants people to understand is that there's room to grow. And these are ways in which you can grow. It's like one of those like seven habits of highly effective, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. There are things that you're going to be good at. There are things that you're great at. And there are things that you need to work on and that's okay. And that's why there's, yeah. like I've said before, we have this community we're supposed to have this community of yeah. people because some people are gonna be good at the things you're not good at and vice versa. And that's important. You know, I, I think before we go into adultery, cause I know we want to get there. Yeah. Let me just, um, let me make one more point here about one of the things Jesus is doing. So Jesus is, is a Jew and he's a Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher. Right. And one of the things that rabbis would do um, and Jews would do is they would enter into this midrash where they would, they would look at scripture and they would have this back and forth conversation. They would question the scripture. They would um, analyze it and they would come up with different interpretations and what does it mean and how do you apply it? Um, it it's not unlike like you do when you're when you're preaching, right? Right. Um, so I think that is part of what Jesus is doing rather than laying down a new law. I was thinking about this this morning. I think part of what Jesus is doing as a, as a Jewish rabbi would is he's sort of reinterpreting the Old Testament law of, of do not murder. And so I think that one of the things that we can do that I think we have the freedom to do, and I think the spirit enables us to do this, mm -hmm. is I think we have the ability to sort of reinterpret and reengage some of these things too. Like, I, again, I, I was thinking this morning about, you know, Jesus trying to capture the heart of do not murder, sort of like, where does it start? Where does it start within us? Anger, um, you know, jealousy, wh wh where does it start? But then I was trying to think, well, well, today, if we were to try to capture the heart mm -hmm. of what, of, of not murder, but even if we went sort of, if we took what Jesus said and what the Old Testament says about murder and anger, like what, how is that playing itself out in front of us right now? And, you know, one of the ways it plays itself out is the way we talk about people, the way we interact with people on social media, the way that we, maybe the words we use to describe people. Like I, I can think of a lot of different ways that we do things, and back to my point before, where we say things, and if we really 
think behind the reason for why we're saying things about other people. We're trying to sort of bump ourselves up a little bit or maybe just drop them down a little bit because it makes us feel a certain way. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways that we do that, mm-hmm. right? We, you know, whether we're, we're roasting somebody or we're, we're making fun of somebody, we're pointing at somebody, um, it, and it's kind of instinctual. Yeah. And I almost wonder, so like if 2,000 years later, if Jesus was going to sort of take this to the next level to turn the dials up again, whether he would be even more concerned about relationships and so, or how we relate to each other. And so I'll say this one last thing. One thing that that kind of de- definitely rubs me the wrong way when I hear it, like from the pulpit or I hear it, you know, in a sermon, is when I hear Christians say things like, "We're such a PC culture. We're so P- why do we have to be so PC? Why do we have to be so politically correct? Mm-hmm. What, what 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 are you afraid of here? Like that somehow it's a Christian virtue to not be PC when really, if you think about Jesus." midrash and interpretation here if we are referring to people the way they prefer to be referred okay right if we're using words um that that uh you know if we're if we're if if people say hey you know i'm sorry but this word is is racist or this word i i this word makes me feel uncomfortable i don't want to be referred to this way and we say oh okay so now i can't say what i want to say that somehow that's a christian value i sort of feel like if i was reinterpreting this section i would say you know if you're going to not care how your words impact people Mm -hmm. then you're in danger of the fires of hell. Again, hi- hyperbolically, because I think that's how Jesus is using it. Right. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? That, I see what you're saying. Like, I think this is, I think this is Jesus, how he's sort of reinterpreting the Old Testament. And I think we have the freedom to do that also to try to say, well, what is it like to live like this today? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just staying away from saying the word fool. Like, I don't think that's a limitation of what Jesus' teaching is here. Oh, guess what? Don't be angry. Don't say raka and don't say fool. All right, I've got it covered. Oh, don't kill anybody, by the way. <laughs> well, I think that you're, and I, and I, I'm going to skip over adultery just for a second, and we can come back. Okay. Um, because I think that what you're saying transitions well into the idea of eye for an eye and even love for your enemies. Sure, sure. Um, because he says you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Um, and then he says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Um, that starts in verse 38 and ends in verse thir- and 42. And, and so here's the question that I have struggled with when reading this eye for an eye part is do not resist an evil person. Who is evil? How do I tell who evil is? Who, who is an evil person? Because this clearly someone is evil. There will be evil people. How do I decide who that is? Well, I think in a given moment, if somebody slaps you on the cheek for no reason, they're probably evil. Fair. Right? Which has happened to me, so... so uh, somebody, you know, that happened to me too. Not yeah. slap. I got, you know, punched. 
I got slapped. It was a girl. Uh, she thought I tripped her. We're in, we're in middle school. I, you know what? I won't. I'm not going to say her name. I thought this happened last week. No, this was this was in this was uh, this was in middle school. Yeah. Um, well, also me getting punched was in middle school, so I guess it was a good time for those things <laughs> right. happening. She thought I tripped her, and I didn't. But she slapped me so hard in the middle of class. Yeah. Open hand or open hand. Backhand? Open okay. hand. Um, I did not turn the other cheek. Uh, I did not do. I did not actually retaliate at all. I just like turned because I think I was in shock. And I just like looked at the teacher, like, and I'm not a snitch, like I'm not right, snitches right. get stitches. That's right. hey, that's that's real. You're not a rat. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but I just like looked at the teacher, and I think the teacher was also so in shock that she was just like, "Sit down and don't do that again." And I was like, "What? Yeah, that's all. You're that's ready happening. for justice. That's all that's happening here. You weren't turning the other so, cheek. Okay, so this is my this is my idea. Okay, so you know who Monty Williams is? I don't know if you know who Monty Williams is. He's a coach of the Phoenix Suns. They're doing really well in the playoffs this year. But I had a chance to listen to him speak after a game um, at uh, when we lived when we lived in Phoenix. And we got yeah. to go, and he gave like a talk. He's a Christian, really, really great guy. Um, because he's a Christian, he's a great guy. I'm yeah. just kidding. I don't mean that. Right. But I got you. <laughs> someone heard that and is so upset. I don't actually mean that. He's actually a really good guy in general. But he happens to be a Christian. Okay. And one of the things he said has stuck with me for so long. And I think it goes so well, specifically with eye for an eye and love yeah. for your enemies. And he says that our job is, he, and Monty said, our job as Christians is to catch the fish. All right. Mm-hmm. Catch the people. It is Jesus and God's job to clean them. Mm-hmm. And that has stuck with me. Since he said it, like I think about it probably way too often. Monty, if you're listening to this, I'm not weird, but I think that that is, that is such a crazy Jesus like concept because like I was talking about earlier, that coach's role, but we like to take that role of, okay, as I am, as I am telling you who Jesus is, as I am giving you truth and as I am giving you love, I am fixing you. Yeah. And, and because I can find out, I can, I can see that problem that you have. I can see this problem. I can see this problem and I'm trying to fix, 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 fix. And that's, that's not what eye for an eye says because an eye for an eye says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them something else too. It's not, Hey, no, you don't get this shirt. No, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't get my coat. Yeah, you don't get to sue me because that's wrong. That's this, this, and this. It says, be more generous. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say, oh, there's this, I have to go with you one mile. No, I'm gonna, it doesn't say you don't get my one mile. It says, give them two. And that concept is what people don't understand is you being the fisherman and giving God, not well, not giving him, allowing that person to be cleaned by God. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But. Yeah, I mean, but you can almost, back to the point about Jesus fulfilling the law, when you ask me, what do I think about that statement, that I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill? This is an excellent example of where it's like, okay, so this is fulfillment, Jesus? Because this certainly sounds like you're saying, hey, you know how it was said? Mm-hmm. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, if somebody does something to you, if somebody strikes you and you lose an eye, you strike them back and you make sure they lose their eye. If they knock out the, you know, your son's tooth, you punch them right back in the face and you knock out their son's tooth. And then Jesus says, 
do not only don't do this, he says do the opposite of this. Right. I'm telling you, Roman, that looks a lot like abolishment to me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I mean, I look, it's fair to say that whatever Jesus is doing here is fundamentally different than what was laid out in the law. Absolutely. Now, the way our our current uh, minister here at the church, I've heard him describe this, which I think helps explain this, um, is he says, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was actually, I think he uses the word, was a gracious limitation. In other words, back in that day and time, uh, sort of God realized that the that the nature of revenge would be such that if, you know, if you knock out my son's tooth, then I'm going to come back and make you, you know, lose your tooth and I'm going to chop off your hand, right? Like it mm-hmm. always escalates. Right, yeah. But the nature of, of, um, uh, the nature of revenge is that it escalates and escalates and mm-hmm. it just gets worse and worse and keeps ratcheting up. And so what instead God is saying is, no, 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 you are limited in terms of the of what you can do in response. Yeah. And so I think that makes this make a little bit more sense, but still Jesus is turning it on its ear. Yeah. Jesus is saying, like, like, like you said, Jesus is saying, okay, if you lose an eye, it's uh, it's essentially like, well, I've got one left here. Do you want this one too? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. It's a it's a crazy concept. But again, I think what Jesus is doing is he's putting the focus a, turning the focus away from punishment yeah. and putting it towards grace and mercy where back to your point, we're not, our role is not as punishers. We're not the judge, jury and executioners for people, right. even people who are quote unquote evil. Even if we are completely convinced that they're evil, it does not seem to be, Jesus does not seem to be giving us uh, sort of the authority to like, okay, guess what? It's your job now to punish these people. Right. Yeah. And that's why I don't like Fox news or CNN. I'm getting, and I'm not getting, I'm not going to get political. I promise. But like they both do a great job or really, um, I mean, media in general does a really good job of painting a really horrible picture for a lot of people. And it's frustrating because it's seemingly the opposite of really what I would like to hear but what I think Jesus would like to hear or what Jesus thinks needs what, what needs to be said, because it, it's, it's back to that mentality of I'm calling you out on this, 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 and this so that you can fix it instead of being gracious and merciful and loving. Right. And it's crazy that we're already at like, 44 minutes at this yeah, point. Yeah. But um, we have to talk about adultery. We have yeah, to. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Brad, go ahead. You can go to adultery. Okay. Go let's, it. let's talk about adultery. So, um, we talked about this last week, so we're not going to have to hit this very hard, but Jesus says in verse 27 of chapter five, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then, as I mentioned before, that you get to this section about if you're right, I cause you to sin, to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Not just gouge it out, but throw it away, Roman. Yeah, no, you don't get it And uh, And then if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, but don't just cut it off, throw it away, I guess with the other hand. Yeah, because yeah, okay, you're not throwing you, it away. Yeah, the, right. Um, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. All right. My my take on this, as I you might imagine, is sort of consistent with the way I, I've interpreted these other ones, is that I do think Jesus is, ty- is talking hyperbolically here, but you mentioned the Old Testament and how 
it, a, a lot of the Ten Commandments were based on actions, mm-hmm. right? Actions yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. do not, you know, do not, uh, you know, create an idol, do not murder, do not steal. These are actions, but not all the Ten Commandments were that way. One of the Ten Commandments was do not covet. Yeah. Right. And and coveting is something that you can do when nobody else knows you're doing it. Yeah. Right. Coveting is like, and, and it even goes into detail. It's like, don't covet your neighbor's wife, his house or donkey or servant yeah. or maidservant, manservant. I don't know. List a whole bunch of stuff. Right. So don't sort of get caught up in, in, in what you don't have. And, and what I think Jesus is doing here with adultery is Jesus is pointing out that there is something toxic. There is something toxic about dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. right? And, and really, that's where I think lust comes from. And that's where coveting comes from. It comes from a place where you're just not satisfied. And I think, you know, even though there's this intense language about body parts getting thrown into hell and bodies getting thrown into hell, my my take on this is that Jesus is trying to say, look, it is really serious when you live a life and instead of focusing on what you do have and focusing on sort of gratitude for the life you do have and what you have been given, instead if you're focused on the lives that other people have or, you know, this spouse that's not your spouse right right yeah. that is a toxic way for you to live and you might as well be living in hell because your life is going to be hell when all day long you're completely dissatisfied with your own life and you can only focus on the lives of the people around you or the things that the people around you have that is not a productive way to live it's not a healthy way to live yeah well i mean god has given you the ability to see your own blessings. Like that's real. That's a thing. And everybody has blessings. Some are way more grand than others, but everybody has blessings. And by the way, some of the things that you see that other people have that you perceive to be blessings, those things may not actually be working out yeah. like you think they are in those people's lives. Right. And and that's all you have to do is like listen to Jim Carrey talk about becoming famous and yeah. becoming wealthy or, or not not just him but other people he just popped into my head. Right. No, absolutely. I, I think that that's why, you know, you have the ability to see your own blessings. And it's hard to see what true blessings are for other people. Now there are obvious ones, right? But I right. mean like like you said, there are ways to interpret what you think a blessing is for someone else, but unless you're in their shoes. You can't really do it. And, and so I, I think that it's extremely important that we see that. And the, the way that I would look at all of this is that, you know, like you said, you can focus on a whole bunch of other things and it can right, take that you, what, what you lack, what you don't have, what somebody else has that you don't have. Yeah. And you can let that take you away from what you need to be focused on. And that's where the bad comes in. Yeah, that's that's when you're in places and and you're going to be you're, you'll be in a spot that you don't need to be. That's in a path towards all all sorts of problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are a lot of and I mean that happens to a lot of people because right. it's it's easy to do. It's right. very easy to do because though we have the opportunity and the ability to look at our own blessings, we have just as equal of you know the option to look at ways that we are not blessed and look at ways yeah. that we think that life isn't going the way that it should well, be Well you going. can even do this with good things like with adultery it's sort of like okay well this person's off limits because they're married and you're married so mm-hmm. this would 
but it can happen with good things. Like you could have a good job, but you can be a workaholic, yeah. right? Like you could, you could overemphasize work because you overemphasize money and what you think it can do for you and the happiness you think it's going to bring right. yeah. to the detriment of yourself, of your family. There's things like that where even people on the outside, even in our society might be like, wow, you know, she's a hard charger or he's a hard charger. They're really, you know, they really do a good job, but maybe it's completely detrimental. Mm -hmm. And because what's driving it is this covet. I mean, we're using these Old Testament words, coveting, but what's right. driving it is a deep sense of dissatisfaction Ooh. with your current status. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Jesus used scripture, and he did a really good job at it because we talked for another... Yeah, more Jesus, more scripture. More Jesus, more scripture. I mean, we're, yeah, right. I mean, it was... It was good. Yet again, time flew by. And yep. hopefully you listening thought it flew by too. But yep. um, So next week. Next week, Brad. Next week. What are okay. we talking about? We are going to, because this is in the air right now, everybody's talking about CRT, cathode ray tube. No, critical race theory. Critical race theory. <laughs> so my, yeah. bro my brother, the engineer, always talks about CRT televisions. No, critical race theory. We did, a, we did an episode last week season mm -hmm. about uh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And so once again, it's going to be two white guys talking about critical race theory. But this, if you've been tracking with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, their their recent election, um, just there's a lot of heat around this topic. And we thought we'd walk through it, talk about it, see if we can engage with it um, and, and bring some, I don't know, maybe some, some biblical scriptural thoughts to yeah. mind and work through it because I don't know, we want to, I, I like to talk about things that are going on right now, Absolutely. things that I'm thinking about. And so I'm thinking about it. So why don't we have a discussion about it? No, that sounds great. Um, sweet deal. Well, this is awesome. Well, Hey, um, thank you guys so much for uh, being with us this week. And we look forward to uh, you being with us next week. Have a blessed day.